0: And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing.
1: Hello and welcome to Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design and with me is my co-host and co-author Matthew Dressing.
0: Hello everyone and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens which are sustainable and low maintenance and we want to help you make it happen.
1: That's right. And so when people think about native plants, most often they think about a wild meadow or unkept urban lot. But natives offer many design opportunities and benefits to our gardens and landscapes. On this episode of Down the Garden Path, we discuss how to design with native plants and strike a balance in your garden between natives and the foreign ornamentals we love so much. Have you replaced your lawn with alternatives? Oh, and what plants did you use whoops that was last year's notes last week's notes but that's okay um so yeah so native plants matt that's Um, right and and it's true and i have been guilty of that thinking you know some of the you know when people that it's weedy looking and it's you know, because a lot of our weeds are technically native plants, right? Like native plant, or like weeds are always the eye of the beholder. But um, but yeah, I'm excited that we can talk about some native plants today, which are kind of all the rage and the gardening circles, but actually how to design with them.
0: That's right. Yeah, I think a lot of us over overlook our native plants in favor of all those ornamentals. And again, we often think about them, you know, they're those weeds or they're that thing in that that lawn or you know you're driving and you see that beautiful open meadow but it's just so unorganized and flowering and grassy or weedy looking uh, that we think that there can't be any value or benefit to that sort of thing or maybe even those plants in there but a lot of them are uh, very beneficial and support our ecosystem and I think that's where we're going back to right with climate change and the You know, our loss of our insects and a decline of certain species. We're realizing that these plants are really foundation plants to support uh, or large key components of these larger ecosystems uh, that we've completely removed. And now we're wondering, you know, why is this happening or where are these things going? Or I always think of, you know, driving up to the cottage when we were younger. And you had all those insects hitting your way, like where did they go? And I mean, we've been spraying and removing their habitats and things like that. But again, just one of those key components that kind of affect a little bit of everybody. So we've often talked about it, um, you know, benefits of native plants and they're great for our gardens and there's always a place for them. But how do we get there and how do we use it? How do we look at something that we've always thought of as so bizarre and wild and then actually create or use them in our space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we kind of always think that it's going to look as neat and tidy as all the ornamental plants that we see at garden centers, you know, have perfectly round or nice round mounding and geranium or hydrangea, but, you know, mm-hmm. they have a little bit of a different shape to them. So how do we use those?
1: hmm. They do. And the other thing is that like, we've often talked about before, too, that most design clients or most people want a, quote unquote, low maintenance garden. And that's another benefit of, of native plants is they tend to be a little more drought tolerant, uh, a little bit more heat tolerant. And uh, or if you like if you've got a wet spot, you know, if you again, it's the right plant in the right spot. But um, if you have the right plant in the right spot and the right native plant, especially then plant it and forget about it really um yeah so you know we can, so if you've got questions so listeners tonight if you have questions for us about native plants or how to design with native plants or how to add some native plants into your current designs we'd love to chat about it um you can email us here at down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com
0: that's right and speaking of some questions that are popping in pretty quick Charlie's written in hello to Joanne and Matt do native plants need more care? than non-native plants?
1: Ooh, good question, Charlie.
0: Good question. So I think what we need to do, or one of the things we'll do today is define what native plants are. Uh, But very quickly, Charlie, yeah, depending on which one you have in general, native plants don't need as much attention because they have adapted and they've evolved right where we're living so they know the weather they know those ups and downs in the cold you know they know that if you're in a more arid region or you don't get as much rain they have evolved with that longer than we've been here so they already know they've adapted they've evolved to deal with that and they usually have uh, survival strategies in place whether it's silvery foliage or deeper tap roots or Mm. uh, you know dormant periods things like that. So knowing our native plants, uh, and we're going to get to some examples as well, uh, will definitely lower our maintenance and uh, need overall less care than than most of our ornamentals. Remember, our ornamentals are coming from other regions in the world, Mm -hmm. where their soils are different, their lighting might be different, they may or may not be adapted to the heat or the drought, and things like that. So I think going back to what is our definition Mm -hmm. of a native plant? And I loved, we had Kathy Gents on, not last week, but two weeks ago, and we were talking about her ground cover revolution, her new book, Ground Cover Revolution. And we talked about or touched on native plants. uh, And Kathy brought up a great uh, point is, you know, how do we define native? So how, I mean, how do, how do you have a, how have you always defined native asking you
1: (laughs) oh you're asking me oh my goodness well I I I think well because of what I do I think I you know research really and 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 plants that are labeled native or you know the different courses I've taken and I know some of our show notes are tonight about one of the courses I've I've uh, taken as well so I think it's just um but how I define it is Oh, I don't know. That's a tough one. Actually, you help me <laughs> off guard. I should know this, but you know, I think in our in schooling and in our research, plants that na- grew here naturally. You know, yeah. that um, you know, and and uh you know, some of them have been improved on, let's say, and so then we can we'll also talk later, a little bit later about native ours, right? Um, is that yeah, is that, yeah that's a native R.
0: That's right? a native R. and that was our show last week as well, a little bit of our background information on on native art. but much like you yeah i defined it as it was just a plant that's always grown here right i mean Mm -hmm. it's just it's from here yeah yeah so but there is a few different ways to look at um you know the definition of a native and we look at that way with our my students as well but kathy kind of put it in a nice little way too you know where is it native from specifically so really looking at it you know it's always grown here but like did it grow right here Like if I like stood where I am now and went back 400 years in time, am I going to find, you know, Mm -hmm. this plant? So is it right Mm -hmm. here or is it from your eco region? You know, is it from the Great Plains? The plains, you know, span a large amount of area. Where we're here in the Carolinian Forest, it covers a large amount of area. These defined ecoregions where certain habitats, uh, you know, certain weather patterns and habitat patterns exist, you know, do they live within that native ecoregion? So, you know, Mm -hmm. may not be as defined as right here, but, you know, maybe it's not even defined as just Ontario or, you know, just one of the northern United States, but maybe it spans a larger part of Ontario or jumps over the lakes into, you know, New York state and a little further south, right? So does it, that ecoregion may not, it doesn't have borders per se by country, right? right? Or, and then you pull out it even further, or are you looking for something exactly to Ontario? You know, is, is it you know, native to Arizona specifically. And that is a little bit of a broader region. Or again, you know, when we look at our students or when I talk about my students, they're very interested in, is it North American native? So Uh, was it here on the continent? But we've moved it around, whether it was things like First Nations moving things like corn up into certain areas as, you know, agriculture developed, or are we moving things just slightly out of their native ranges as well? Mm-hmm. So there's a wide range of how you can define native, you know, where mm-hmm. it was from, but what is what is the where, so right. who or where is the where?
1: And so for our listeners because the nice thing about our listeners is that they're all oh you guys are all over the place right all over North America and Canada so you can search your eco regions of North America so you can look uh look that up I've just pulled up the website here North America has been divided into 15 broad level 1 ecological regions so once you kind of get an idea of your region then that can help you figure out which plants um would grow best. And I think sometimes, although if you don't want to do all that research, then really it's going to your local garden center, somebody that's fairly close to you and looking at the native plants that they stock, you know, and you can talk to them there. But if you do want to know a little bit more and do a little bit of a deeper dive um, and some things like I think of rutabecchia or, you know, black eyed Susan that everybody knows, you know, it, it may have a really large ecological region and be native in, In a lot of different areas it isn't it isn't you know um but then there might be some other smaller ones plants that are not are more concentrated in 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 different ecological areas right so it really varies
0: it does and you bring up a great point too even within that eco region that plant might be native there but even the plant itself has its own native range Right. So, yeah, like you were saying, it might you know be very concentrated in the re- ecoregion or it might actually uh, join or cross into other adjacent ecoregions or zones or areas as well. Yeah. So you've decided you want to go with some native plants. Where do you go for them? So I, I think you had just kind of touched on that already. Definitely your local independent garden centers. Uh, that's a great place to start because they can order specific plants for you. So you can go in to your, you know, your uh, perennial department, if that's what you call it, and you can speak to the supervisor or the staff there and see what they can do about searching for a specific Uh, native plant for you and again depending on where you are whether you're in Florida or Alaska or you know on the east coast in Newfoundland uh, you know you'll always have hopefully a source or that'll be in one of those mixes of your of your plants
1: yeah I think right now, too, it's because it's such a hot topic, there should yeah. be, it's probably small and it's probably like in the back corner of the garden center, but there is a native plant area. And one of the biggest challenges I think for garden centers is they don't really look great, like in a pot, right? Like they don't look, they're not the colorful, they're not going to be flowering and pretty. I mean, except for like, like the 10 minutes that trilliums bloom for, you yes. know, for instance, <laughs> in the pot. I can remember when we I worked at the garden center, right? Like they're just sad looking little plants in a pot. Um and yeah, so yeah. they're not they're not gonna be something that's showy and it's not gonna be by the cash register and it's not gonna be an impulse purchase. You know, you've got to go looking for it. Um but I think because of the demand, they are a you know, there is an area probably in most garden centers and some and I'm I'm assuming they're in separate sections, but sometimes they may be mixed with other perennials right and do the typical alphabetical order by common name or alphabetical order by botanical name but they're never going to be like the showy thing that you can't just resist you know they're going to just you're buying them yeah <laughs> yeah right. i mean they will they may once they're established in your garden they may be beautiful but they tend to not be the showiest you know there's a few, probably a couple of exceptions right like because columbine is columbine uh, native yeah yeah yep um, so when it's blooming in in the garden centers, it's pretty showy. But um, yeah, so there's a few exceptions, I'm sure.
0: Definitely. And you're right. You're never going to find them on an end cap. And they're never going to replace, you know, <laughs> they're never going to bump the end cap of hydrangeas to do a native plant display. That's right. That's
1: right. <laughs> so, That's right. Uh, you also so later,
0: may find, oh, I was going to say, we're, we also may find, like, we're very uh, fortunate. We have a couple of uh, native plant-specific um, growers and garden centers in our area. So also t- take a look around your province or state or your city, wherever you are, to see if you have a, a native uh, nursery who's growing specific natives to your region. And even their selection, they both may be, say, for example, native to Ontario, but you may find two different lines of perennials or, or native plants. And remember, as we say native plants, we often think of Like we were saying earlier, you know, that little pot of Echinacea, Rutabecchia, or Aqualasia, Columbines, right, Our our little pot. But we may have also, you know, native shrubs, native vines, native trees. There are a lot of other native, uh, you know, forms that you might find out there as well, especially with your trees, right? You go out to your, you know, find your red oak um, or your red maple out in the tree section. You're always going to find just... The straight native. So you may also find beyond independent garden centers and native plant specific nurseries to help Mm -hmm. you out and you can call them up and they often have lots of resources on their website to talk about the benefits of your local uh, native plants and what their selection has and a phone number to call.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about the Wild Seed Project. We had Anna on last year, right? That's and right. she talked about native plants and she's the ecological program manager at Wild Seed Project in Portland, Maine. So she talked about they have a lot of programs. I know I still get the emails. So they do a lot of plantings. They do a lot of seed. Um, so that's definitely something, you know, if you're in the East Coast in the US, that's something to take a look at. And I'm sure there's a, a similar community, similar native plant. Um, you know, society or, or, um, you know, something like that. Um, We have the David Suzuki Foundation as well, kind of promoting native plants and, and uh, planting and seeds, that type of thing. So, um, so yeah. Um, So there's, it's, it's definitely I think people are becoming more and more aware um, now we are definitely not saying you no longer can plant uh, hydrangeas and Roseanne geranium and cat mint and, and things like that. So at least that's how I think I feel. I think Matt, you agree as well. I mean, there are some hardcore, you know, you can only, you should only plant native um, people in the community and that's fine if that's what they want to do. Um but, and it depends on how much space you have. I think that's harder the more space you have, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it definitely is a personal choice. And just, and there's lots, of, when it comes to gardening, that's the thing. That's the joy about gardening is that you can have a personal choice. You can have an all white garden. You can have no evergreen. Like I've, you know, I was always fighting with clients who want no evergreens in their garden. <laughs> you know, you um, or an all purple and white garden. Like it's, it's really about um, personal choice. So if you want to have, only native plants in your gardens that's fine too Um, and I think the other purpose for native plants is if you've got really challenging growing conditions then Mm -hmm. sometimes that's hard with your regular hybridized plants you know wet soils clay soils um, something that's really unique you if you're having a hard time growing something I think of dry shade under, uh, under evergreens right where many many of of the typical things that we would suggest and people you know love their hostas and stuff but even they struggle under in those conditions um but some of the native things like wild ginger and uh, may apple like they thrive that's right so yeah so um so yeah so i i kind of rambled there but <laughs>
0: That is all right. So yeah, I agree with you completely. You don't have to completely rip up your garden, and that's not what we're we're saying. Or or you know, change your design. Natives only. There are a place for both of them, and I think what we want to do is emphasize that you know you can design with both of them. There is a balance that you can be had that they will both bring benefits. Native plants do bring other benefits to the weather, to the local biology. Uh, And I think there is a place for both of them in your garden. So we'll get into some tips and tricks on what we can do to design and incorporate our native plants in there without making it look like that crazy wild uh, meadow space, right? So
1: We have a question from Lenny. So he's asking about um, what are some examples of native plants here in Toronto? Thank you.
0: Oh, what are some beautiful natives? Yeah. Again, depending on your your situation and what your um, conditions are, there's lots of different plants. But I mean, we have native junipers. I mean, starting with, you know, some of the trees, we've got, you know, our native red maples, we've got native oaks, lots of different. Uh, trees and shrubs, hop hornbeams, uh, things like that. You could grow lots of different shrubs, our nine Dervisberry, yeah,
1: ninebarks. serviceberry. Mm-hmm. that's
0: right. Uh, you know, pines, there is even native junipers to our area, the, the regular juniperus horizontalis, our spreading juniper is native to here. So there's a lot of, of wide variety of trees, shrubs, uh, and perennials. What we don't see is a lot of annuals, actually, right. yeah. in in our area.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. But think of, um, Lenny, if you think of like trilliums, you know, something trilliums. that's, you know, and I mentioned, so shade wise, I think of trilliums, um, wild ginger, like I said, may apple. So it's a lot of things, uh, ferns, several ferns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about going to the cottage or going into the country and, and seeing some of the things that are just growing, um, even uh, Annabelle hydrangea, um, the botanical name is, poof
0: yes um, hydrangea but, arborescens
1: thank you yeah. hydrangea arborescens um you know surprisingly is is native so yeah so there are uh, many things uh and then you get specific things like butterfly weed um
0: yeah there are different asters there are different butterfly weeds uh, there's coneflowers bee bombs, rudbeckias, uh, lots of different wild perennial herbaceous milkweed nutrients. I'm thinking like what oh you're thinking going Monarchs? milkweed
1: okay <laughs> I'm like I'm trying to think of. I'm like sitting here going okay butterfly weed but there's also milkweed and many like there's a lot of different varieties of milkweed for sure
0: yes exactly yeah. there's lots of different ones mm-hmm. and again they may be fully you know native specifically to Toronto or our area but again they may also have wider ranges right, as right. well so right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Lenny, it's just about Googling, you know, looking for them, uh, depending on whether you have sun, shade, wet, dry, you know, and so it's not just about native plants. I think you got to you got to uh, narrow it down a little bit.
0: Right, right. What exactly are you looking for? Like, are you looking mm-hmm. for trees, shrubs and how are we going to interact with all of those?
1: That's yeah. right. Um, and Evan is asking if n- native plants are better for wildlife and they often are, aren't they?
0: yeah they often are they've often especially native wildlife that's that's naturally here right they often provide a housing or an overwintering site for Mm -hmm. our especially for our insects including that in the broad umbrella that is wildlife but our insects as well as some of our animals remember our um, Juniperus horizontalis that's native uh, to Ontario and and northern Canada they it is so low-growing it is an Overwintering site for small mammals, they will burrow under and use it kind of as a shelter. Uh, The stems of our plants, right? Certain species, like again, going into our monarch, which is probably the universal classic example, right? Mm -hmm. Mum looks for the specific species of the... uh, oh my gosh, (laughs) the milkweed, to lay her eggs on and so her caterpillars can feed on. So they're often a a habitat source. Again, they're often a specific food source. So insects, again, they're noticing specific nectar and pollen resources, laying their eggs, even animals, mast trees, trees that are producing specific fruit and nuts that these birds and other small mammals are looking for and eating uh, to sustain themselves. And as we remove those trees, where they become less and less, those animals have to leave. um, And, you know, their ranges start to change as well. And we see less and less of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we go ahead.
1: No, I was thinking of moths too. Like, I oh yeah, something right. So I, I think you think about it as a food chain. So if there's many things that um, a moth like, and it's it's amazing when you start to research it. How many um, um, what is it called? Like when when an when an insect only I want to say soloist. That's not the word
0: the larval species?
1: No, yeah, something that eats like well, like for instance the uh monarch will only eat the butter like the caterpillars can only eat.
0: Oh, like a specialist.
1: Right, a specialist. So there's many like moths and that are that need a specific plant in order to survive and then there's birds that usually eat those moths. Like it's there is a food chain, right?
0: Yes, exactly. We have that specialization of that moth to that plant or that insect to that plant that right, those two or three species will eat them and they're so right and then it goes up that food chain.
1: Exactly, exactly. So if something happens in that chain, then that's really, you know, that really kind of messes things up. Um, I had done a presentation and I researched. So if anybody has an oak tree or, or you know, is near anybody that has an oak tree, the acorn. So there is a, um, there is an insect, the weevil. So it's a, a weevil. So if, when the acorns fall on the ground, if you've ever picked one up and it has a little hole in it, right? Yes. So there's a weevil and it takes uh, two years for it to come out. So it goes, the little egg goes inside the, you know, it lays it lays its egg inside the acorn and then they eat the inside of it on the ground and they come out. So um, it needs, you know, it needs an oak tree. Those, that insect needs an oak tree. And then once they've come out, then they hollowed out, um, You know, there's there's certainly birds that go and eat that um, weevil. And then there's a particular ant that needs that also goes in. So once the weevil has left that acorn and a particular brand of, I'm going to say brand, species of (laughs) ant goes in and lives and lays its eggs inside that same acorn so you know that's an example of you know the circle of life and how and so with there's a scarcity of oak trees or if and this goes also back to the whole cleaning up your gardens it's a little bit of a segue sorry everybody but if (laughs) we all like if, if, if every single acorn in the forest was cleaned up then what happens to the weevil right and then what happens to that ant and what happens to the birds and the other insects that feed off of those two things so So definitely, um, that's a long answer, Evan, to your yes, the native plants are better for wildlife. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) they are definitely. And I think you go into Ron's question too. Ron asked, um, hi, Joanne and Matt, can you give us some information or facts about native trees? Uh, why do we we always hear about native plants? Ah. Thank you so much. So, like you were saying, right?
1: last week's show, Matt, we had a, we had a replay, but I thought we did native trees, didn't we?
0: Uh, we had, well, yeah, we had native ours. Um, oh, okay, so it wasn't specific on native trees. Trees. Okay, um, sorry.
1: No, it's okay, Ron. But yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there are a lot of well, the oak tree. So yeah, there are a lot of. You're right. There, we should be talking more about native trees.
0: That's right. And like you were saying, like the white oak, right? um they're over i think you said um red oak. you told me once upon a what one
1: red oak was it a red oak okay
0: mm-hmm. or the white oak we know that it holds like there's over 500 it's a host mm-hmm. of over 500 different caterpillars insects um mm-hmm. you know birds and again connecting all of that chain uh, mm-hmm. so yeah so just even choosing one one specific tree and that goes for every different tree will have different things whether you know it's a hemlock or sugar maple a red maple a bur oak uh, a service berry we have our you know our pagoda dogwood is native to our area as well so those beautiful flowers i saw some actually just this weekend our tulip trees so there's lots of larger trees that we see out there different birches different evergreens that will again house lots of different species so i mean ron we could do Um, a whole show on just, you know, the three native trees, and then all the host animals and insects uh, that we use it. But you are right, we definitely, definitely hear more and more about native plants. And I think we all think of uh, herbaceous perennials, or those, you know, wild meadow-like plants. But again, there are lots of host trees, like our white oak, our red oak, our maples, our tamaracks, our
1: Hickory. Uh, I mean, we did do a show. I can't find the date on it, Matt, but we did do a show. We'll put in our show notes. But we did do a show in the past. uh, Native trees. Um, It was we did a native month. I think in August, a couple maybe last year. Um, so yeah, so we, cause we have, um, we have our list here of, uh, top Matt's top favorite deciduous trees and Joanne's top favorite deciduous trees and then <laughs> evergreens as well. So, uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, um, a great episode and that would be a deeper dive, Ron, if you want to check out that podcast. And like I said, we'll put it in our show notes. Um, red bud. I mean, it's funny because a lot of the native plants are what's blooming now, right? Service berry, yeah. red buds, um, uh, flowering dogwoods and haven't started blooming quite yet, uh, pagoda dogwoods, like you said, uh, so yeah, so there's definitely, uh, quite a few, uh, flower, and those are the trees, and then evergreens, things like white pine, we all know, you know, if you think of, everybody thinks of, um, the gr- group of seven art, right, those are all native trees, right, that pine tree, those pine, wean-swipped pine trees, uh, yeah. but also jack pines, and,
0: um. Eastern red cedar, which is that Juniperus Virginiana. It's Mm -hmm. that one that that juniper looking thing that we are driving around now, especially again in the GTA. We know that everybody lives a little bit of different places. But, uh, you know, here in the GTA, we see them as really brown looking dead cedars, but that's just their winter color. And then they come up as that beautiful green juniper. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and hemlock. So if you'd go through a hike, if you did a hike this weekend, uh, it was a long weekend here and on in Canada, and I think next weekend in the U.S. Um, in the forest, that there's evergreen, kind of a Christmas tree type. Uh, that's a hemlock. with much shorter needle, tighter needle, and they are uh, native as well. So hope that helps, Ron.
0: Yeah, hopefully that helps. Lots of information there, and if you have more specific questions. Again, you can always write us at Down the Garden Path Podcast at hotmail.com. And we'd be happy to uh, answer you like a specific tree or a specific uh, animal or shrub or anything like that. Just before we get to our break, we jump into some design considerations. Matt has written in, uh, hello, down the garden path. What does herbaceous mean? Uh, So an excellent question. uh, Matt, as I say herbaceous, I'm talking about plant material that is basically just fleshy leaves. So, for example, if you think of, again, like an echinacea, um, you know, just a regular plant. It grows from the ground every year. It's leafy, fleshy stems. You might get a little bit of wood, but generally not. And then as the winter comes or the dormant season comes, it'll die back to the ground and leave nothing there. There are herbaceous annuals and the whole plant will die or herbaceous perennials. So these are, again, like our echinaceas or daisies, things like that. They will or grasses. uh, They'll die on top, but the roots will stay alive and they'll come back. So you can get, you know, woody perennials and those are trees and shrubs. They're not herbaceous because they produce wood. They have vegetative parts to them that are somewhat like herbaceous, like soft tissues. Uh, but herbaceous generally means something that is completely without wood. So, yeah, thank you very much for the for the question there, Matt. And as we hit the bottom of the hour, I'll just jump in and say thank you, everybody, for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host and co-author, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path joanne and i enjoy hosting down the garden path each week bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden we learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show don't forget you can spend more time with us down the garden path follow us on instagram facebook and youtube at down the garden path podcast is our handle there You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider with lots of past episodes on native ours, native trees, and some of the other amazing topics we talk about through the whole year. While you're there, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you, our listeners. Don't forget, you can always write us here down the garden path podcast at hotmail.com, or you can find us via our websites. You can find Joanne at down the number to earth.ca, and you can find myself at naturalaffinity.ca. So, designing with our perennials. Mm-hmm. Our native perennials, trees, our native shrubs. So we've defined what our native plants are. We're going to see, you know, whether they're right here with us or in a larger area. You know, maybe they're more North American native. But what do we do with them when it comes to designing with them in our garden? One of the most popular kind of easy way to get introduced in the native plants is native ours. We talked about that last week on the show. But what is a native nativar? So we're always in the plant world, we're always trying to improve upon or cherry pick those great characteristics of the plants that we love so much, right? So every year there's a new hydrangea, every year there's a new echinacea, every year there's a new hosta. And it's all about colors or shape, uh, you know, growing conditions, disease resistance, et cetera, et cetera. So nativars, are native plants that are cultivars of that native plant. So first of all, what is a cultivar? Mm -hmm. A a cultivar is basically any plant that we cultivate by man. So we're often, um, you know, we've chosen, you know, a echinacea grows and it does this and it's, you know, yellow and white at the same time. Uh, and it grows, it's a nice dwarf, right? So we are cultivating that plant, because that plant has occurred nature, naturally. A cultivar basically means we're cultivating a variety, and we're keeping it in circulation by cultivating that plant. So vars are native cultivars. So again, echinacea, rutabecchia, uh, a lot of our perennial grasses, or a number of grasses, again, depending on where you are all of these names may or may not change, but basically these nativars are cultivars of our native plants. So they're native, but they're native brothers and sisters to the original, original that's been here for you know the last 100,000 years uh, or more or less. Mm-hmm. So nativars are a great way to go into the world of natives. Look at what native plants you're interested in. That is in your either your immediate area, your state, your province. Maybe, again, you're looking for that eco-region. And we'll put that eco-region link in our show notes as well. So if you're looking for your eco-region uh, in, in North America, you can we can help you find it. But looking at that, for example, you know, our Echinacea is native to the plains. We have an na- Echinacea native to Ontario in parts in northern... Um, New York State, but it's not the typical looking echinacea. It's uh, echinacea palata, but it has, it's a very narrow or fine leafed or fine petaled, drooping petaled echinacea, but it has that typical cone. So when you buy an echinacea, if you buy echinacea purpurea, you're buying the native plant. If you buy echinacea uh, purpurea sombrero red, you know, you're buying a cultivar or hybrid of that echinacea. So the ours will often give you those, again, they'll attract those insects. They'll be that food source for bees, uh, butterflies, birds, other insects. Um, you know, if you have a spe- different species of red oak, you know, it's still going to produce those acorns. You know, those insects will still come and investigate and use those acorns, but you're not using that species. And maybe, you know, that cultivar is just a smaller red oak. Um, so you can use it as a dwarf variety in an urban landscape. So that's what these native R's are. We're picking those, you know, dwarf, disease resistance, color, conditions, resilience to use them in our urban landscape. So that is what our native R's are. So again, if you're looking into some native plants, you know a native plant, or you know your ecoregion and you want to, you know, that one looks really cool. I'd really like it. Sounds like it has a lot of benefits. I can't find it. Okay. But this is its name. What are the cultivars of that? And you can Mm -hmm. pick in and bring in some of those positive traits to the landscape in your ecoregion, but find a readily available plant. That's right. So That's what our native
1: are. Yeah. And sometimes, though, it is a negative. Like I think about the Echinacea sombrero. Like some of those have been, you know, Echinacea is one plant that has been hybridized and cultivated a lot. (laughs) Like right? I said,
0: every year there's a new echinacea. There's a new
1: one. But yeah. they do say, one, that you will find, if anybody's ever planted a red or orange or yellow uh, echinacea, you know it's only it's if it lasts one year, it, it might last two. But then that usually it doesn't survive past that, right? They kind of peter out. They're not as strong. And there is some proof that they don't have the pollen or the nectar like their native parent. Um, so, <laughs> So, yeah. So sometimes it's the other opposite, right? In the sense that...
0: Right, watching how hybridized or how cultivated right, that right, group is, right? Right. And echinacea is a great example of that pro and con because, again, we use it so much in absolutely mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. right? But if we think of, like, Rutabecia, yes. I can think of Goldstrom, <laughs> Goldstrom star, which is a dwarf, and then the species. Yes. There's, like, there's the three of them, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely so, excellent um, point mm-hmm. um so for me when I think about there's a couple things if we want to talk about designing with them um and specifically perennials right now um because because I think the perennial native plants do get a bit of a bad rap and I'm guilty of it too in that when I've taken some of the courses and then they go and show pictures and I'm like yeah I can't like it looks like a ditch I can't put that I can't design, with, <laughs> I can't design that for a client you know so I think you know you definitely with native plants do need to take a, a a slightly different approach. I think if you are planting you know twelve different kinds of plants to you know different colors and different in in a, a one garden, I think that garden is going to look a little messy and weedy. So uh, my design tip, my first design tip would be to and and this tends to be overall as well, but less variety and bigger quantity so pick two of your favorites and plant a swath of them so now you're buying so if you're going to do the purple on um, the uh, echinacea the palada that is native you aren't going to buy one or two plants you're going to buy five or six and you're going to have like a nice big grouping and then if you wanted to add an ornamental grass you know looking at something like little blue stem. And again, Mm -hmm. you're not going to plant two or three, you're going to get five or six or eight and, and big, you know, grouping of it. So then you've got a swath of, you know, uh, of the purple flowers and you've got a swath of the little blue stem. It is, it is, uh, it does have a blue tone to it. It has a a burgundy kind of sheen also as it gets cooler in the fall. So it, um, it really is a cool grass Um, but you know, just planting and I've done that where I put one or two in and it really doesn't look like much. So I think to be really happy, um, with native, a native garden or native plants, uh, from a design perspective, you do, I think less is more, less variety is more. Would you agree, Matt? I,
0: I agree. Uh, That was one of my points too, right? Less is more. Yeah. Instead of doing, you know, the specimen of a one or, you know, you always hear the rule of groups of three, yes. you know, or like oh, I
1: often do three, but, but sometimes it's not enough. Right.
0: Right. But I, agreed. I agree with you. Yeah. When it comes to native, don't just do three, do your, like your five, your seven um, and do them in a great big group. Because And again, less is more, right. You're going to avoid creating, picking all of your favorite native plants, mixing them all together and creating that weird ditch meadow kind of look right so if you create those big vignettes of you know here's a beautiful stand of little blue stem or big blue stem you know or here's a beautiful swath of echinacea right you get that bang for it and then you don't get that wild look i I agree yeah um i was going to say with that as well is even creating some um delineation right, creating little spaces within the garden. So don't let everything just kind of bleed together and get very English garden look, maybe define some of those groups, or that, you know, the spaces between those groups with some decorative rocks, um, or, you know, an ornament, or I think you had um, once mentioned to me, um, from your course that you took, um, hedges make edges, right? right? So creating kind of like a barrier or a line or creating smaller rooms or departments or sections within the garden to kind of showcase off of those, Mm -hmm. those groups. And it doesn't have to, even as I say, hedges make edges um, from your course, Um, you know, you don't have to put in a hedge, but, you know, put in a smaller group of something else, you know, Mm -hmm. remember, we're going to mix our ornamentals with our natives. So maybe you have some little blue stems and then maybe you have a nice grouping of two or three dwarf hydrangeas and then the echinacea comes over here right that echinacea or that group of hydrangeas can be the block or the break between the two or maybe there's you know it's a ground cover in front of of something right uh in front of that but creating little pockets to create little breaks within in the in the landscape or within your planting Yeah. Instead of letting everything just kind of bleed together because we like we all like full tight space. Right. No soil kind of thing (laughs) or (laughs) little or soil.
1: Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think I agree. And I think you can do hedges, too. I think hedges can really go a long way and it doesn't have to be an evergreen hedge. It can be. Uh, it can be deciduous. It can be a perennial. Um, like I think of well, right now my I, the little girl across the street. Um, I my curb is all lined with catmint. And it's not native, it is not native, but it's salt tolerant and it's drought tolerant, which is why it's in the spot, but the bees love it. So she's outstanding on the street, like watching the bees and listening to the bees. And, um, you know, she's a JK and it's, you know, it's so cute to see, but, you know, planting something like, like that, um, it's like I said, it's not native to us here And But it would make, it's got that silver foliage and it, so even when it's not in flower, it still has a nice kind of silvery blue, you know, gray foliage. It can make a nice hedge or nice edge. And then you could have other um, things that maybe sometimes are not as pretty. Like milkweed isn't necessarily that attractive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not the purpose. The purpose is to feed the butterflies, right? And the caterpillars. So, um, and you know, me, I mean, I'm not a yellow fan, which I'm, I know our listeners will tease me about it, but <laughs> even something like, like, um, uh, black eyed Susans, uh, you know, right. you can definitely do a row of that and then have other native plants like the big, you can do big blue stem and other, some of the other larger plants or, or larger shrubs that are native. Um, and I think it also goes for. And I've been guilty of this: is I've for years tried to put like one or two things in, like whether the cu- client knows it or not. Native plants and serviceberry tends to be one easy one, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it's a great plant; it grows from full sun to full shade. You can get a tree; you can get it multi-stemmed. Uh, it has nice it has spring flower uh, berries for the birds, fall color. I mean, really, you can't beat it. Um, but I've put one in the garden. You know, instead of doing a hedge or doing a whole back fence of, you know, a grouping of three service berries to just make a statement and make a focal point, or doing three and and I know my girlfriend Nancy's done that, like beside the driveway, instead of just putting one at the front. You know, she's done a grouping of three service berries, and uh, so yeah, so I think uh, realizing that if it's if, especially in those ones that are tricky spots, like if you have challenging soil. Yeah. If you have a wet spot, if you have really hard, difficult clay soil, um, if you're not great at watering, if you go to the cottage all the time, then you want plants that are tougher. Um, So that is, you know, so it's okay to plant, um, not have to have, you know, 12 different plants in your garden, right? You can plant, you know, three service berries and, uh, um, you know, things that will kind of, uh, you know, again, it gives you that seasonal interest, but you're still um, have a beautiful like it's still an eye uh, aesthetic.
0: Right. Yeah, you still have that ornamental value that we're you know searching for and we right. get these non-natives for it in our garden and and like we're saying you don't have to add 12 different ones, but you know you add the service berry. And there's one of them. And maybe that's the only native plant in the whole garden, but you're drawing in and and letting those around, you know that there's something native here. And then hopefully a little bit of everybody around you starts to add, you know, natives here and there. So it's also as part of designing for natives. It's not, you know, again, you don't have to convert your whole garden to natives to have an impact planting one or two species and incorporating them um, in an intelligent way. Again, you know, you know, growing for your soil or supporting something uh, in your area that you know is, you know, like monarchs were the big one. We all planted for monarchs because they suddenly disappeared, you know, right. picking a specific reason, or like you said, our cottage is up in, um, in the Muskokas, we've got shallow soil and it's rocky and it's dry. So, you know, we're planting for dry shade or even mm-hmm. dry sun with shallow roots. So you know, we're picking plants for specific conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And more and more, I do want everybody to do some research in your area. I mean, and um, I can't speak highly enough. Like I said, in Ontario, on Canada, you know, the David Suzuki Foundation, Butterfly Way, there's a whole like the website and the information there on the native plants and the beneficial things. Um, also, I want to give a shout out and everybody should Google uh, and we'll have it in our show notes. But Doug Talamy. That's T A L L A M Y. Uh, He's a prolific author. He's an, what's, I want to, I'm going to say, so it's etymologist and sex.
0: Entomologist,
1: yeah. Entomologist. I get etymologist and entomologist. Um, so, Google him. He has some wonderful, I've seen him speak. He spoke at the Landscape Designer Conference several years ago. Um, he's written some great books about that whole chain of, you know, the native plants and the importance. Um, but many of his, I discovered many of his uh, presentations are, he's let them be free on the internet, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he's given some wonderful presentations and it'll be fascinating. You will be blown away. And he's also started something called um, Start a New Habitat Homegrown National Park. So you can, so all over the U.S. and Canada, you can like, you can, you kind of like register your backyard, your garden as part of a national. So he's saying if we can't claim land to create these national parks for these native plants, but if everybody's property can kind of all contribute and we, it's like a homegrown, right? We all take a little piece of it and um we can create a national a, um, a na- homegrown national park so it's an interesting um a philosophy and i'm i'm on the site right now and he has a lot of um lo- like places to resources for native plants so ladybird johnson wildfire center
0: mm-hmm. audubon
1: native plant database national wildlife federation not native plant finder natural garden natives Um, So, yes, so there's many things, California, Native Plant Society. So wherever you are listening to our show, um, we know that there's a community and resources right in your neck of the woods um, to learn more about how to plant them and where to plant them and where to get them. Because that is something, um, because of the popularity, all of a sudden the seed collection and the actual yeah. growing of them. You know, we talked about the them being at the garden centers when we both worked in garden centers. But it was always a small area, and yes. uh, so they often are harder to grow. So even if you go to a native plant nursery, you're getting like a tiny little thing in a in a pot, and it's ten bucks. You know, and you're like, what am I getting? So they they do tend to take a little bit to get going, and again, like we said, aren't don't necessarily um, look great right away. But um, but if you once you start realizing and paying attention, I think when you go for that drive or you go to the cottage or you're you're in the country and what those plants often not always but often are, you know, native. Ooh, exactly. Exactly. And see how they're growing in that condition, right? When we're talking about designs, like see what you like. Do you, you know what I mean? Like maybe you do like that wilder meadow type look where things are mixed together and your grasses and your, your, um, you know, echinacea and your uh, rutabaga are all growing. in. you know, maybe you like that and that's okay. It's your yard, right? Um, Exactly. You know, so yeah.
0: There's no right or wrong answer to designing Mm -hmm. With natives, really, you can go as mm-hmm. wild as you want, or you can get as manicured as you really would like as well. But mm-hmm. again, like you said, you know, it's not going to be this perfect, fast-growing, beautiful, the stereotypical. I just bought this from the garden center, look.
1: right? Yeah. Right, right. And I do encourage people, especially the shade lovers, or that mm-hmm. you know, t- typically, you know, go thinking of costas like, well, we'll grow in. Th- In the shade, oh, hostas, there are some really great native plants for the shade. And we probably, you know, we spent a lot of time already talking about the, you know, ones for the sun, but things like wild ginger, things like may apple, it's a cool, funky leaf. Some of the native ferns are amazing. Yeah. You know, and, the and they kind of go sedges. with what, um, yeah, with Kathy sedges, what Kathy talked about uh, a couple weeks about about the green mulch, right? Having mm-hmm. ground covers, be green native plants that have that, those particular insects that do improve our soil. Um, that are a little bit more that are going to stand and not go dormant in the summer, like our non-native grass, like, you know, our lawn or turf grass, right? It's not native. So that's why it, uh, it goes dormant in the heat of our summers.
0: Yeah. And it takes so many inputs just to keep it looking the way it does. Cause it's not where it's from. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One of my favorite is um, the white turtle head, the Cleone. Yes. Leone glabra. I love that one in the part shade. Um, yeah. Beautiful little turtles in the fall when you're not expecting it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And trilliums. I mean, I think, Trillium. you know, you don't want to go and dig them up, but you can buy them. And uh, Canada anemone. It's another one, yes. that, you know, it's, it's a nice, it it can be like, it can be a nice spreader. It's perfect under a that, you know, another example underneath a, a spruce tree or a pine tree where nothing will grow many natives will grow perfectly fine um and often so good news when you're out for a walk and a hike you know you can use Google lens and kind of um take you know get the get figure out what's growing in a for in a, an environment that's like yours or that yes. you would like and then take those names to uh to a garden center And uh, see if you can, or a website and see if you can order the plants. So, um, you know, Matt, they're not as easy to get from seed, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like many of the things we can start on our own and and stuff. But that is more challenging, isn't it, with native plants?
0: Yeah, starting the seeds can be more (laughs) challenging. Because they usually need that cold, moist stratification. And we're just used to grabbing seeds and planting them. And they do a thing Mm. when they need a little bit more of their Their natural winter treatment um, to go over. Again, like you said, seed collecting too, right? Like now that there is such a demand for them, we haven't been collecting all of these seeds in this quantity to match everybody. So they can be, there's a scarcity issue for sure. I do like that, as you're saying about seeds though, remember picking seeds from your area as well the seed that you have picked from that red oak or white oak that lives, you know, within a hundred miles is adapted to your condition. That seed will do better for you than the white or the red oak or whatever, the seed that was bought, say from, you know, the Southern United States might've been collected there because they grow quicker, quicker, but that seed from the North is better than the seed from the South. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so seeds can be sparse. They can be a little bit more uh, to get going and get involved, starting them or leaving them, outside over the winter and knowing where they are getting them going in a pot etc yeah so yeah seeds can seeds can be a thing but usually we'll find them all in some sort of already started plant material but it tends to be the smaller you know four three and a half inch pot versus a one or two gallon tree or shrub or ornamental something
1: right right um and we have done several past episodes about native plants trees and shrubs and perennials and native ours trees and plants and shrubs so please go uh, you know to our uh, podcast and you can search for native and native ours so if there's partic- particular things that you want to learn more about or want to know what to purchase um then you can do that
0: that's right just as we reach the end of our show um a very couple of quick questions last was olivia interesting information tonight perfect time can we plant these plants now most certainly olivia as long as wherever you are the soil is workable the herbaceous the softer stuff isn't gonna get frozen uh you are good to go gail written wrote in as well uh hi joanne and hi matt do you have to fertilize native plants or let them grow or feed naturally? Again, they're often adapted to our soils and what's naturally or natively there. They may need a little bit of help depending on your soil uh, or what you've got going on in your conditions. But generally, they are okay to fend a little bit easier for themselves. Again, they'd like the lawn. They don't need all of that food in uh, input. But again, if you're not really using your native soil, they might need a little bit of a helping hand until they get really fully established, like everybody else. And then a, a normal top dressing of a a compost or a manure is good to feed them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you're you're really feeding the soil, and then they're right. relying on the soil. But they tend yeah. to not need as much as you know some of the um, non-hybrid, non uh,
0: non-native plants animals. or ornamentals that you know are Japanese, whatever, or you know. European something or
1: other mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
0: not that they're not great plants the world is filled with wonderful plants mm-hmm. no matter where you live
1: yeah and some of them are real some are we don't know like again we mentioned some of the really common ones um I think of prairie smoke
0: I was gonna say everlasting
1: like yes. there's some really really interesting ones and they might be tinier and they might only bloom for a certain period of time. Um, We'd mentioned uh, milkweed for monarchs but butterfly weed can be a little hard to get going Um, but it's you know orange flowers and it's small uh, and uh, yeah so there's some that are really really interesting.
0: That's right so we encourage you to take a look for your native plants Write us here, Down the Garden Path, podcast at hotmail.com, if you have any other further questions. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in this evening. Uh, We look forward to talking to you next week at the same time with June in the Garden. It's our end of the month. What are we doing next month episode? So thank you, everybody, for tuning in here on Reality Radio 101. And we hope you'll join us next time here on Down the Garden Path. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio
1: 101.